welcome to episode three of A Different Page. We're here with the amazing Jess Sanders. Hey, Jess, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. So for those of you who don't know Jess Sanders, Jess is a social worker, advocate, facilitator, and the author of Love Your Body, Be Your Own Man, and Me Time. Um, it's such a pleasure to have you today. I am so excited. I love all things body positivity. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of authors listening, and I'm sure we'll learn a lot from you today. So I thought we could start by just the classic question of telling us about this wonderful book, Love Your Body. Yeah, for sure. So Love Your Body was my first book um, and it, I didn't really have any aspirations to be an author or anything at the time. Um, I was studying gender at the time and with the, the goal of studying social work in the long term. So I was really interested in social justice and um, I had also simultaneously been spending a lot of time unlearning a negative relationship with my body that had been kind of planted and had started manifesting from I'd say about the age of six when I developed that awareness of my body and realized that oh I'm very tall for a girl because I'm, I'm like six foot um, and I was always the tallest in every class and yeah that awareness developed into a negative association with my body um, and over time lots of like dieting and just restrictive patterns um, I luckily like Fortunately, did not develop an eating disorder, but it did consume a lot of my brain space, like every day and my behaviors and sort of took me on this wild roller coaster of like, um, yeah, disordered eating, basically. And when I was studying gender, I think anyone that's ever studied gender will know it kind of makes you really angry because you become more and more aware of all the injustices, particularly against women and minorities. Um, and you're like, this is ridiculous. Um, this is not okay. And so I was feeling a lot of that fuel and that fire. And then I was simultaneously unlearning, you know, trying to recondition my brain to like see bodies in a different way and like to not subscribe to the beauty ideal anymore that was so narrow and kind mm. of impossible and so harmful. Um, and so I guess I was searching for like what is true um, mm. about our bodies and to what it is to be a woman and a girl and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I remember having a conversation with someone who was saying that I was talking about all these issues and they were saying, oh, that's just what it is to be a girl and a woman, Jess, like you're just going to hate your body and everyone kind of has the same experience. And that's mm. it. And I'm like, oh, this is not good enough. Yeah. Because like I now, I now knew better. I was learning from some amazing body positive activists online and I was reading a lot and I was studying and I was like, doesn't have to be this way these are actually stories that we pass on to the next generations and we continue to perpetuate harm by not examining them and so we can stop it if we get in early enough and help them learn what is true the first time around because what I was realizing was it took a lot of money a lot of privilege a lot of time to unlearn um, these ways of thinking yeah. and it was still incredibly hard I still to this day struggle um, you know, every now and again, and have, I have my off days, it's not completely left me these messages and negative associations mm. um, because those pathways are so ingrained. <laughs> so uh, I was yeah. like, if we get in early and they learn correctly the first time, it's going to be great. And that's kind of what, yeah, brought me to the idea of a children's book. And I wasn't even really thinking about it at the time. I think it was my, my best friend and my housemate at the time who's still my housemate today. Hannah was just like, you should like make a book. And I was like, oh yeah like, I actually know people who do that because my parents do that um I was like I could probably ask them what's up with that um and I just did a bit of research I went to like 
I I looked online, obviously, but I also wanted to go into physical bookstores and talk to booksellers. And I remember going to readings in Carlton here in Melbourne and talking to um, one of the booksellers there. And I was like, hey, I'm just looking for this book. Um, You know, it should be for young girls celebrating diverse bodies and showing, you know, what is really normal, like cellulite, stretch marks, um, different abilities. Like, is there anything like that in here? Because I just wanted to see, like, you know, Mm one is this book needed maybe it already exists mm. um and there was not uh, there was not very much at all there was a few things I found online that were targeted at a younger age group and, and didn't really speak to the female experience mm. um because the messages we get around the beauty ideal are so gendered it's for girls take up less space be smaller and she talks about how the beauty ideal is not prescribing um an aesthetic but it's more prescribing behavior and I think that's really true when you examine the beauty ideals because it's like, boys, be dominant, be big, take up space. And it's the complete mm. opposite message for girls. It's, so you know, true. be quiet, be passive um, and make your body represent that. Be meek. Mm. Like, yeah. you know. and Shrink, really. Mm. Yeah, be shrink. So just not only in your body be smaller, but be that in your behaviours and also be that in your association of yourself consider yourself vulnerable, consider yourself not able to do things and men need to do them for you. Like it all seeps mm. into each other. Like our bodies are so powerful as well and how we show up in the world. So it's so true. I think um, that thing of powerful as well, we're told that our, we're, our bodies are powerless. You're powerless. Men look after you, your body's, yeah. You're, yeah, you're powerless. You need people to do things for you. And in that you, okay, give up. Well, I guess I'm not powerless. It's like you were saying with um, your, that, that friend of yours saying, oh, you know, this is what it is for women. This, this is what we do. It's our story. It's like, actually, how come? Yeah. It's like, we're, we feel powerless to that message. And it's like, okay, this is the message we're all signing up for and we're going to keep on perpetuating or is it possible that we can change it? It sounds like that's what you've decided. It's actually, how about we write a new story and it is possible. Yes, exactly. Like it, it is possible. And yeah, the reason it doesn't happen or doesn't change is because people just sit down, accept the status quo, think it's too hard um, and move along. And yeah, I've always had a keen sense of justice. And I was like, this is just mm. incredibly unjust. And I looked around at these young girls and they, you know, were destined for a similar fate as my own. A mm. lot of them were. Um, and some of them were developing eating disorders. And as a result, some of them won't be there anymore. They won't actually get to grow up into adults. Um, at the time of writing Love Your Body, uh, my sister's best friend passed away from an eating disorder and she was 19 at the time. And I dedicated Love Your Body to her, to Sophie. Um, but that really um, upset me because I was like, that was preventative. It was complicated because I wouldn't say it was like tied in with the beauty ideal. It was very much connected with like perfectionism and pressures at school. Mm. Um, but they all do intertwine as well. And yeah. there is a reason that girls develop eating disorders at a much higher rate it's because of that gendered message about take up less space. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, yeah, it, it, it does, it, it seriously harms. And in some um, cases it takes away lives. And I was like, that shouldn't be like that. This is just mm. ridiculous. And I'd also, you know, had the experience of being at high school, struggling with anxiety and a bit of obviously with body image issues, but looking around me and observing that all my peers seemed to be really struggling too, at least a, a good percentage mm. seemed to be struggling with their mental health. Um And I actually, yeah, lost another friend who took their own life Mm. um, when I was 18. And they had just 
turned 18. And so I was just like, there's so much injustice in the world. Young people are struggling. No one seems to be helping them. Um, so all those things kind of, yeah, fueled and um, eventually manifested in the creation of this book, um, mm. which at the time I thought, you know, this isn't really, I talked to my parents and I was like, this isn't really a traditional kind of book because it's a non-fiction it's sort of educational meets mainstream kind of um, guide I, I would say too pardon it's a guide I would say as well I think yeah yeah mm. it's a guide there's um offerings of advice and practical tools there's mm. just you know there's now what to do at the end there's helplines so it's a resource as much as it is you know a book or a present mm. um and at the time my parents they work in educational publishing and they're like we haven't really seen many things that kind of blend both worlds so I don't know that you'll get a publisher and I was like all right cool so I will um do it myself so I like found an amazing illustrator Carla Rossetti reached out to her just so pitched the idea and she was like yep I'm all in sounds amazing um found an amazing local designer Steph Bartels who's now a good friend and continues to work on my stuff and um yeah together we we created this book that um then went live as a kickstarter in august of 2018 mm. um and went really well i didn't actually know a whole lot of what i was doing like this is a testament to just like you know done is better than perfect just like put it out there anyway absolutely um, marketing yeah <laughs> um but just did the just did it and eventually we yeah reached our goal. I was looking a bit hit or miss for a while there, but we I think it got to like maybe twenty eight thousand dollars, which meant that the book could be created. Um, but not long after, I was approached by like several different publishers who who wanted to buy the book, and I thought, wow, okay, here's an opportunity to like get this book into countries all around the world. That really excited me, like different mm-hmm. languages, something that I hadn't even thought was possible. Um, now I might have the opportunity to speak to like you know girls that I'd never see or be able to speak to because I didn't speak their language I was like whoa that's cool um and yeah eventually yeah set it on five mile and then the book published the first of May in 2019 so that's kind of the journey of love your body (laughs) coming into the world (laughs) congratulations I have to say that is absolutely fantastic and I love that you you took this thing and you actually made it happen I think that's so brilliant and impressive and and I really get that feeling of um the injustice that stays with you. Um, I'm really curious when you talked about anger before and and almost being a bit of a motivator. Um, um, yeah, did your anger change as you wrote it? Good question. I think it did because I did end up writing over a, quite a period of time. Um, and I did find that, that writing, it was quite therapeutic because mm. I was doing something. So like anger is you know, can be harnessed into productivity and doing action. It's mm. like it's great fuel. Um, so, yeah, I think as I was writing it, I felt less angry and more excited mm. um, that I could be doing something. Um, yeah. And that was really nice. And I am, I was just telling you earlier, but I'm reading um, mm. Rage Becomes Her by Soraya Jamala. And in it, she just speaks about the transformative power of anger and how women it is not an emotion that women are encouraged to exhibit um we demonize women who exhibit it we reject them we find them not attractive and like god help us you know if women aren't attractive like what are they? You know, <laughs> yeah. um you know and and we we have a problem with them and when i reflect on my relationship with anger i was in my home allowed to express it 
And I found that when I went into the real world, I guess, into school and other places, and I was saying, hey, this is not okay. Like, what are we going to do about it? Blah, blah, blah. People actually don't know how to sit with women's anger as well. Mm, it's, absolutely not. Mm. It's unco- it makes them uncomfortable. It's but true. we promote anger in men because we expect it and it mm. shapes our interactions with young people, whether we are aware of it or not. Probably yes. not aware of it. And I think if women so true and I think we're told that you know women bring peace we're the nice warm nurturers we're meant to nurture the world not be angry at it so it's like yeah. you know it's uh it's, I I totally connect with that that's it's so it's so true mm. yeah, and, and I, we're there to make other people feel comfortable and we mm. do that through our bodies so being not threatening Mm-hmm. in any way um through our smile like you know why don't you mm-hmm. smile why don't you smile more it's absolutely it's just everything's we expect women to just be like here um you are allowed i think um one of the episodes i did on my podcast the unlearning project with lauren rosewan she said something she said like here you are welcome in the space of my body and that's what women are kind of meant mm-hmm. to be exhibiting at all times and if we're not we're kind of being perceived as being hostile unattractive and dare I say, crazy, <laughs> crazy. Oh, it's so true. And even I did that women are meant to be the host to make that, for example, with the house, you're meant to make it homely and inviting and welcoming and warm and, you know, pretty. So that idea yeah. that we're meant to be hosts for everybody else as well. And that yeah, false exactly. responsibility. Yeah. It's, it's so, mm-hmm. so much there too. And, and I also find too, with, um, with creativity, it's, it's so healing, I think creating mm. something you're right it's that feeling of contributing to the solution changes it a little bit and if anything I feel like um putting for me with grace creative stuff I feel anger at something um putting it into a, a book or a bit of work it feels like I don't have to carry the burden around I, like I don't know what it is for you but it feels like for me it's like oh there's I don't have to carry this around because now it's in an object so it's like my mm. anger is is now in this so it's over here this is it looks like a book it looks like a whatever this is and it is yeah. so therapeutic. Mm. It is. Yeah, it is. It, for me, it was so therapeutic to pass on what I'd learned and what I now knew um, to young people who kind of represented my younger self, like what I wish I had heard. Mm. Um, and I think that when women in particular read Love Your Body, you know, with say their child or a niece or something, I think they find it quite therapeutic to hear too because those really mm. simplified but truthful and loving messages um, hit home to all of our inner child, you know, and like um, it's still nice to hear things that we wish we'd heard growing up as well. Yes. That's um, so true. And, you know, there, there are so many powerful messages in your book and, and throughout your work. And, and is there a particular message or phrase that chokes you up when you speak it or write it that or one particular one that you needed to hear out of the rest? Hmm, that's a good one. I think the one I don't want to say it chokes me up, but it makes me feel empowered, I guess. Like and mm. it's about harnessing um a bit of that anger and injustice. But the I'd written in there like you can take up more space, you can take up, I want to say your body will grow and change and it will become bigger. And I intentionally said that it will become bigger because a lot of issues develop around that sort of prepubescent after puberty times where it's like they've got that awareness of their body they're already critical of it and then it's gotten bigger and I was like your body will get bigger and it will take up more space and that that's okay mm. so like, it's great but like yeah I just needed to hear that that was okay mm. <laughs> um yes. and yeah it just feels like a reclaiming of space 
in general mm. and and today I love being a tall woman with broad shoulders because I get to strut around taking up space yes. um, and making men aware that I take up space you know <laughs> <laughs> so true and you feel that too like do you do you find that others don't always receive that as well like or um or do yeah. you find that every, people seem to be on board as you take up space other people start to do the same or do you find pushback um I think oh, a lot of people respect it but some people are threatened by it mm. I think and you'll find that the people that are haven't done their work mm. um and that you're often acting as a bit of a mirror to their own insecurities I don't really take a lot of any kind of negative feedback too personally because I know that people are often just projecting so if you're you know feeling um troubled or upset or confronted by someone's confidence in themselves like that you know that's a bit of a problem for you yeah. <laughs> absolutely a bit of a new problem, problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's a bit of a them problem I absolutely agree and, and do you find for you do you um was there a moment that you remember in your personal journey that there was a turning point in your journey of self-love mm. was it more gradual I, it was it was very gradual I think a lot of this change does it's about chipping away every day and just like challenging that inner voice every day and making small actions that add up to big impacts. Um, I do remember consuming a lot of body positive content and like, you know, seeing women uh, conveying their bodies, you know, through photographs in ways that I'd never witnessed anyone doing, you know, like fat rolls and just not being unapologetic about them, showing them so powerful because I've just not seen it and like you can't be what you can't see so you have mm. never seen that in someone else and then you have you know some fat rolls in your stomach that makes you feel a lot of shame but when mm. you see someone else unapologetically like being liberated in their body it can make you feel empowered too That's or it can so go true. the other way and talking about challenging people it can make you feel angry because you've spent mm. so long um, trying to change your body and who is this person to suddenly get access to feeling good in it so I feel mm. like people have two responses to body positive content and sometimes oh. that's the other but for me it made me feel good um, and I remember walking past a mirror and doing that body check thing you do where you like <laughs> look at your body for like flaws or whatever but I think that I'd actually just subconsciously looked at my body and I'd seen like, I was like side on and I think I like had a little fat roll on my side and I was like, oh, cute fat roll. And then like kept walking. But like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, that, who was that voice? Like my <laughs> voice was like complimenting myself. Yes. This is so foreign. Who was um, that voice and where have they been the last 20 something yeah. years? <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I have been brainwashed in the best way possible by the body positive movement. And I love it. Yes. Um, so, yeah. That, that always felt like a breakthrough moment. <laughs> And I think what you said before, you can't be what you can't see. That is so profound. And I think it also in the book, um, the representation here is absolutely fantastic. And, and it, it's so true. I think, you know, the media tells us what's what's in, tells us what's attractive, tells us what, you know, and I, and I think it's so healing to see everyone, everyone gets seen. And I, I think it's, I might have heard you say in the interview that this is the first book with stretch marks shown, a kid's book with stretch marks shown. Is that correct? Do you correct me if I'm wrong? It was correct at the time when it was published. Oh. I haven't like done a review of the other books that exist. Um, since publishing that book, there's been a whole wave of body positive books, which is really mm. exciting to see. Um, yes. So I haven't, I haven't checked, but um, it's hard in certain illustrative styles to capture mm. stretch marks and things. So it's just part of the reason why I picked out um, Carol, because I thought she was really good at, at doing it. Um, 
but yeah, it was a very intentional choice at the time. And my publisher reviewed the books that are out there and said that we couldn't find another that did. Um, and so that makes sense, right? It's like, if you're a child, you grow up reading all these beautiful pitch books and seeing all this representation, supposedly. Mm. Um, but you know, if you, if you don't see that and then you one day go through puberty and you realize that you've got cellulite in the back of your legs or you mm. shot up really quickly and you've got stretch marks on your body, um, you're going to be like, what the heck are these? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Am I normal? Like, you know, one of the most Googled questions, am I normal? It's a huge wow. concern for humans. You know, we want to, we want to fit in. Um, we're so susceptible mm. to, to shame and feeling like ostracized for not being perfect enough in every single way. So mm. yeah, it's all so those preventative true. things where it's like, if you just see it and it's also mm. about, you know, just by putting something in a book or on a television show or in a movie, you say, this is okay. Mm. Um, and yeah, it doesn't, you don't have to necessarily say your cellulite stretch marks, like they're beautiful. Like it's not about being beautiful. It's just the fact that mm. they exist, that it's okay. They're quite neutral. Mm. Um, they're not a, a, a sign of failure or, Absolutely. Um, you know, some people might like to think like overindulgence or something. This is a part of just having a human body. Yeah. Um, human body. Yeah. <laughs> existing, part of existing. And I love that neutral yeah. language. And that brings me to one of my questions here about, you know, um, I'm sure that you, in preparation of making this book, you would have spent a lot of time thinking about um, helpful body positive language, language for children. So what should have, what sort of language, sorry, should we use um, with children when talking to them about their body? So you did say neutral. Um, yeah. yeah. What should we, or shouldn't we be saying in those conversations? Yeah. So you can speak neutrally. I think that's like a good baseline, obviously. You can speak in a celebratory way um, mm. from a functionality approach. So like you can obviously compliment and celebrate a young person's body. Like I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Mm. Um, but I'm think I'm saying that you should create some kind of intentional ratio, a rough ratio of how often you compliment them on appearance versus their abilities mm. um, or compliment their yeah abilities personalities um interests whatever it may be Mm. so I usually like I'm I think nine out of ten because I ask people to think about you know what do you love the most about say it's your own child like what do you love about them like what makes them you know one of your favorite people in this world and they'd be able to create this like whole list and like probably the bottom of the list even not on the list is like what they look like but mm. what we tell them all the time is that what that's what we like about them. Oh, you look so beautiful in that dress. Your oh, your hair's so stunning. Like we're not creative with our compliments. No. And so if you're as a child hearing all day, every day, that the thing adults value that you the most for is how you look, you're going to put a lot of emphasis on it, Absolutely. which means that if you change, say you're not so little and cute anymore, you're critically mm. aware of it because no one's calling me little and cute anymore. And that's a bad thing. And so I need to make myself smaller. Like those are the connections young people mm. make because they just want to be accepted and loved and celebrated. And if that acceptance and love and celebration comes at a condition of how mm. they look, it's, it, it's, you know, it's terrifying for them. So we have mm. to make sure that we're building up their worth from their abilities, um, their interests, their personalities, and just that they are inherently worthy without any of those stuff as well, that, that yes. we just, I love you <laughs> unconditionally. Mm. So you're right. Unconditional um, love is really, is really what it is, isn't it? It's no conditions yeah. in your love and in conditions in your worthiness. So yes. true. Yeah. Mm. And you're triggers- Yeah. 
I think when you hear um, about constant commentary and your appearance, what you hear as a girl is this matters. Like that's that's yeah. what you hear. This matters. And you don't boys don't hear it nearly as much. No. We all go, mm. oh, what are you playing with? That's mm. cool. What footy team do you go for? Like we're telling them we care what they can do, we care what they maybe think about or like. Mm. And we're we're not doing that nearly as much with girls. And that plays out in how they literally shape themselves because they're shaping themselves to fit in and be accepted and loved. Mm. Um, and again, if that's without conditions, then they're going to feel free to really explore and shape themselves according to what they actually care and like and want to yes. be in the world, how they want to show up. Um, but more practically, like when we're talking about body functionality, you can say things like, wow, it's so amazing that your legs, you know, got you up that tree and that your arms helped you like get, climb the branches or mm. you could talk about like oh isn't this you know beautiful flower so beautiful our eyes are actually helping us to see this or our, mm. you could talk about the senses like our nose like just what the body's doing because if you think about it everything mm. that you love to do your body allows you to experience so and true. showing gratitude for those functions is a proven way to nurture a positive body image so if you can just model that thought process and as an adult to a young person it's not only going to help your own personal relationship with your body and gratitude is just good in general for your brain and for your mental health (laughs) um you're going to set a pattern in their head and a way of thinking about bodies and their internal dialogue will be like god so awesome that my legs help me run in the the race at school sports day not oh Mm. my legs um are jiggly and that that is bad you know and if they hear you saying oh gross i I can't wear shorts my legs are too fat Mm. or i can't wear a short sleeve top or i can't eat that that's bad like creating mm. morals around food and eating Ugh. don't do it no no <laughs> yeah do it. it's like imagine um, someone getting to the point you know they win a gold medal and there's a photo and they go oh but i look ugly in the photo it's like that's what it's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> like these are your it achievements is. this is your quality you know it's, yeah it's so true and i i feel like too a lot of those um i found that heaps of those comments and i'm sure i've done this to younger women as well those comments oh you look so pretty you look so this it's like that thing of you're trying to protect them and, and tell them what you think they need to hear and what you would have loved to have heard due to the gap you're trying to fill the gap to yeah. prepare them almost isn't it like it's like this protective thing of you know you want them to look good for their date so they don't get rejected because society rejects people who aren't don't fit the mold so it's all of that protective language too isn't yeah. it and that's i think the motivation from people when they want a child to lose weight mm. society won't accept you you might not experience love um, which is just not true, but there are systemic, you know, barriers against them too. Like they will be treated differently by society, unfortunately, but what's going to be way more painful is if their own family and close friends reject them and project that. And mm. like, we're smart. We know when people are trying to get us to like change, like my mom, like when I was dieting, I think she, she thought she was helping me by encouraging my dieting. But all I heard was, you think I'm disgusting too. And until I change my body, I will not even get, if I can't even get your acceptance, how will I get anyone else's? And so Mm. it just creates more of a problem essentially. So it needs to be unconditional acceptance and support from families and like not trying to change and just focusing on behaviors. Are we moving our body enough? Are we eating a good variety and mix of foods? Not saying, oh, you know, do you really want to eat that or whatever? It's like, that's how we create disordered eating is when we Mm. create the idea of scarcity or you can't eat right now. You can't eat right now or don't eat when you're hungry leads to binge eating, leads to a cycle Mm. of that, you know, 
actually forces someone to gain more weight, not that that matters, but it, but then also <laughs> develop a mental illness. <laughs> um, mm. So I know it always comes from a good place in the same way that we like try to, you know, stop boys from wearing certain clothes because we don't want them to get bullied mm. uh, or something like that. But it's like, we should be focusing on the bully. Bullies, yeah. <laughs> Mm. like it's literally like it's victim blaming it's like oh change yourself to not get bullied women don't walk home at night to not get attacked like absolutely it's the same stuff so it's like we need to be focusing Mm. on the bully not the child and we as the you know friends family members um the close people in that young person's life need to be the offers of unconditional support and safety Mm. um a young person can still thrive even if they experience bullying at school if their home is a really safe and supportive environment Mm. um that's the most important thing yes is at least starting with keeping the home a safe space for mental health for care that is so that's so true Mm. and i i heard you talk about in an interview as a young girl first feeling the external gaze. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the external gaze? I know we've talked vaguely about this already, but curious to hear about yeah. that. So the external gaze, which can then be internalised as like self-objectification as well, is mm. just, yeah, it's just knowing that other people are looking at your body, they're taking note of it, they're making an assessment, mm. um, and you become aware of that as a young person when people start telling you that they're observing your body, essentially. Mm. Um, and I think it's never really a good idea to let people that know that you're observing and judging their body. Because, of course, we see a body, mm. like a cover of a book, and we make a judgment call. Like, that's just how we're wired. We do that straight up. Mm. Um, but that person doesn't need to know about your judgment call. Mm. Um, you probably need to challenge that interpretation because it's usually incredibly flawed because like humans are like is this a threat and they're sort of making this rash assessment but it's like we don't actually know who this Mm. person is or how they are um so yeah it's basically knowing other people are looking at you and so what you can start to do is objectify yourself you can actually go out of your body and be watching yourself from the outside what is Mm. my what look like when I stand like this like what is my you know what do people see when they look at my back on my side who's watching me right now you know mm. girls just drop out of sport at this rapid rate from the age of about it's like 12 or 13 and it's and it's when they're going through puberty and their bodies are changing and so they're worried about other people observing their body when they play sport mm. and so they stop playing sport mm. you know? and not only is that bad for their physical health it's bad for their mental well-being as well because mm. like they're not getting a social connection that comes mm. from like being a part of a team and maybe they're losing opportunities from becoming a professional sports person one day mm. so true and that sense of achievement that you get from from creating yeah. and inventing and and accomplishing developing things a that, new skill mm, so true and opportunities as well and the comedian Hannah Riley and her sister Eliza have this amazing show called Growing Up Gracefully, um, which I recommend. It's on stand for anyone listening. But Hannah Riley says this line. She says, as women, we feel like we were born into a beauty contest that we never signed up for. And when we talk about the external gaze, that's how I felt growing up. It was like, not only were we born into a beauty contest, I never signed up for it, didn't even qualify in my head. And then looking around, chatting to different women realize none of us qualify that's and that that same feeling of I think you might have said it before that your friends were all feeling the same thing um and that yeah that idea that there is one mold I always thought that you know other people fit it but I don't but it's it's there's actually a beauty contest for people that don't exist it's like <laughs> you know it's it's like it's like that feeling of you know 
when someone tells you you've got broccoli in your teeth and then and you don't don't think you do and you spend your whole life checking that's what it feels like it's like that you know that constant yep. security and as you said before, and, taking up yeah. brain space oh sorry yeah exactly i was gonna say the constant checking is taking up brain space mm. so you could be um i don't know it's processing your day you could be um, thinking creatively to come up with a cool idea for the next thing that you want to do. You could be like, I don't know, talking to a, like there's so many things you can be doing that are mm. better served than constantly checking yourself and your body and like comparing yourself to others constantly. Like you touched on a good point, which is that women are in constant competition with each other, mm. not only for beauty, but like for the attention of men. And even in like jobs and things, we've been taught that like there's only room for one woman basically. Mm. Um, and so like, and we're willing to like put down other women to, to get that spot or to get that validation, because that's how important it is. You know, this idea of, um, you know, oh, I'm not like the other girls and things like that. Mm. That's what that's about. That's about like, <laughs> basically placing the patriarchy to like get yes. that precious validation and acknowledgement. <laughs> yes. That pick me thing. The pick me, <laughs> pick me thinking. Absolutely. You understand why people do oh, it. Cause survival. like everyone wants to be yeah yeah everyone wants to be loved get attention and like mm. to um, stay in the yeah, beauty you contest make- you gotta get picked so it's like you know <laughs> if you want to stay in that's how it's not your yes. choice mm. but one of the key antidotes to this and i think how we're going to help shift that narrative is encouraging women and girls to really invest in themselves what makes them happy what do Mm. they think about and why do they you know critical thinking um reading like just invest in all these different little baskets of yourself and fill them so that you don't feel like you only have one basket and that's the beauty Mm. slash you know being picked by men basket there are so many more baskets that you can fill that will actually protect you from falling apart or doing things that mean compromising your sense of self and basically sacrificing yourself for this you know external validation that will ultimately you know um kind of be to your detriment because you're putting your worth into another's hands and maybe someone's hands Mm. who don't necessarily care about you as well but it's always doesn't matter whose hands it is it's a really bad idea to be Mm. to be letting other people decide if you're enough um so you have to invest in all your baskets and all your things and that's what I kind of, with the help of my mom, but also kind of incidentally did as a young person, I was like, right, I'm not going to be validated for how I look. I don't know if this is an Australian, it seems to be an Australian thing, but like when you're tall in Australian high school, you were just like not the object of anyone's affection. It's just like, you're kind of out of the race. So I felt very out of the race for the attention of the boys. And so I was like, what, what do I want to do? And I got into like the art department and I just did so many arts and made so many things and like, you know, and, and did quite well in that space and, and developed my photography skills. And like, I really invested myself in that. Mm. And I felt like my value was coming through my abilities and um, you know, what I could do and what I could you know, say. And I was educating myself on a bunch of stuff. And um, mm. that really helped me and still helps me today when I try to remember like, you know, if I feel that little voice in my head, that's like, oh, you know, you start comparing yourself or why aren't you enough of this? It's like, well, I'm all of this actually. And that is just one small part of me. That's kind of insignificant in comparison to all the other stuff. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I think that's great for the parents listening to practically, and you've given so many practical tools, but that also how to invest in your children with about body positivity is fill the other baskets 
um, help will help as you're saying it's actually will help them to fill the other baskets from their yeah life. provide opportunity for them to find their things that they love to do mm. um and like my mum enrolled me into volleyball and that really helped because height was valued there mm. you know it was great to be tall and like you could jump up over a net and smack a ball and I was like cool like this height thing is actually useful and valuable in other spaces it's not just you know, a point of difference in others, it's actually um, desirable. So yeah, being like, what is, what are you, what is your child's strengths? What are their interests? And provide opportunities around them. Um, and they don't have to be the best at that thing. I certainly wasn't the best at volleyball, but, um, mm. you know, I got a lot of joy out of it, a lot of connection and a lot of confidence. So that's, mm. I think that's really the key. That is so fantastic. Um, it's really helpful and really practical as well. And, um, and, as an author, just changing topic, as, as a, I would say a very successful author, what's your biggest trade secret for all the authors listening? What's the key to thriving as an author or for you? Um, I think it's like, it's a bit un, I don't know if it's like super helpful because people are like, oh, I want some kind of like <laughs> formula. I feel like I get people that reach out. The answer. Like, How do I create the formula, the answer? Um, and mine, it's a bit of a you know, generic answer, but it's like stay in your lane and understand what it is you have to offer that no one else does um and not even mm. that you don't need to be focusing on what other people are offering but yeah what, what what do you have to offer who are you what do you care about mm. um what do you want to say that's that's all I think my success has come from is tapping into my authenticity who I am and what I want to say and I feel like when I mm. write I try to speak with as much like truth and resonance as I can and that does I think resonate with people and young people on the other end so um I definitely sometimes would get caught up in I know when Love Your Body came out there was some variations that came out after that I would consider like copycat versions mm-hmm. and like that was really distressing I was like oh my god like my work and this thing that I worked so hard for is being replicated in a way that I, I don't feel like they're giving it as much thought or consideration um, and maybe I don't have the same skill set. Like I am a social worker as well mm. and um, had studied gender. And I was like, oh my God. But then I was like, no, you keep doing your thing. You stay in your mm. lane. You stop wondering what anyone else is doing. Because I think that's kind of been the key to my success, to be honest, is like mm. not thinking through the same lens or um, the way that everyone else is. We're always looking at what's been done before and how can we make another version of it? Whereas mm. I was like, I just want to make something entirely new and that hasn't been done before and like not be constrained by maybe a traditional way of thinking like if a traditional publisher Mm. was thinking they wouldn't probably have thought of love your body before right because it's just like I said to you before it merges two worlds so Mm. I just think what do I care about what I want to say what change do I want to make um and yeah not be encumbered or limited by the traditional Mm. constraints of what um I will look and looks and sounds like Yes, I think we spend so much time trying to copy other people's, like, you know, be like, oh, they did that. I'm going to rep. It's like, do your thing. You know, what's your yes. thing? What do you into? <laughs> it sounds like as well from you, your approach sounds like as well, who's making the rules around here? It's like, who decided? And I, that's also in the content as well. But your approach to being an author to it, it's I'm making the rules now. Like, you know, it's the same thing with the women um, and the, the body shaming. It's like women put up with body shaming. It's like, no, let's make new rules about that. And it seems like you're really changing the narrative and, uh, it's so exciting working um and I guess it's a it's a great note to wrap up off it, um on and 
yeah, thank you so much for coming. I, I really appreciate this conversation and it's so helpful for all the listeners. And, and for me, I really got so much out of your book and your work. Um, and so you can get a copy of Jess's book online at Booktopia at her website, jesssanders.com.au. Um, she's got a, a few other books and feel free to chime in, Jess, if there's any places that we can get your content. Thanks, Josie. I like loved having this conversation with you as well. Um, and yeah, if you want to grab the books, you can go to my website and I can sign them for you. And if you want to send me a DM or an email, I can even inscribe them for you. Um, but if you'd also like to get them like a bit more accessibly priced, places like Target and Big W um, and Kmart, I believe Kmart might be sold out, but you can get them quite affordably there and there's also of course like Topia and if you can supporting a local bookstore who are doing home delivery if you're in Melbourne um yeah so they're they're around but um yeah yeah. and make sure you check out um, Jess's awesome podcast called the unlearning project which is brilliant and her Instagram is I am Jess Sanders as well um so thank you so much I hope to speak to you again soon on the podcast I'd love to have you back and um I hope everyone enjoys this episode Thanks so much for listening to A Different Page, spin-off series of the Words and Nerds podcast. This song belongs to the artists, humans on the floor. My name is Josie Layton, and you can find out more about me and this podcast at my Instagram page, Josie Layton. So that's J-O-S-I-E-L-A-Y-T-O-N. Thanks, guys.